As we continue in our Advent season, this is the second Sunday of Advent. Last week, we lit the first candle uh, of Advent, which is the candle of hope. I'll relight that one this morning. And then the second candle uh, for this Sunday is the candle of peace. And a lot of people think in terms of this, and I, I would be explaining this to the children as they would be coming up here if we were able to do that, 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 you know, this candle of peace isn't peace on earth in the sense that, that peace between the nations and, and no war or anything like this. The peace that's being spoken about here is the peace between man and God that comes through Jesus Christ, who humbled himself, became a man, even to the point of going to the cross as a servant, going to the cross and paying for our sins. That's where peace is achieved, peace with God. And so we light this second candle with that thought in mind. As we begin this morning in our message, I was just uh, thinking in terms of of where we get the the Christmas story from in the Gospels, and it's Matthew and Luke. They both tell of the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. Matthew starts with a family tree of 42 generations, and uh, that is... You know, I don't know about you, but if I go back to uh, Genesis and, and, and some of the Old Testament books that deal with generation after generation, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so, and and you look at that, and, and frequently those are spots that are, are, are skipped over. And even this gets lengthy and is skipped over, and I'm not even going to read all of it this morning. Uh, but there are some key verses that we will be looking at. But on a side thought was was what we're looking at is Jesus's family tree. And so uh, you look at this and say, why was the family tree, the genealogy, uh, the family tree so important to Jewish people of Israel? And if uh, the kids, again, were here this morning, I would be asking them very specifically, what is a family tree? And. What we realize is that it's the 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 picture of uh, the history of our family. For instance, if you were looking at me, you would say, uh, "I my my children would look at it would be the 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 foundation of the family tree." Now, my grandchildren, and then it would be my children. Then it would be me and my wife, and then it would be our parents, and then our grandparents and our great grandparents, and so on. And basically, we've got two different family trees in a sense we have the one from the dad and one from the mom and matthew tells joseph's family tree luke uh, gives us mary's family tree and so as we go through this we'll be looking today at matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 17 as joseph's family tree and you'll see why it's important to designate the two now in israel the family tree was extremely important, and it was something that was taught through the family. Uh, the, the children could go on and on and on about 
through the generations because they learned it from a very early age to the point where it was rote. They they knew who their their parents were, their great parents, grandparents, great great grandparents, great great grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins. All of this was so important to them, and the reason for it was as a Jew, uh, it identified them as the ones who would be partaking of the blessings of Abraham. They were the chosen people of God. Their tribal heritage or their, you know, whether they were of the tribe of Judah or the tribe of Levi or the tribe of Benjamin, so on, they, they would reveal what their heritage was. And that would have to do with the, 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 the blessings, their birthrights, land rights, all sorts of things would be tied to their family trees. And so the Jewish kept, uh, the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, uh, kept detailed family records. And so they could go back and, uh, and, and trace their family heritage as we see here clear back to the time of Abraham and even further. And so, uh, it is important to them. And for us today, as we look at it, maybe it's not as important to us. I think about it and say, uh, do you know, uh, in your family tree, maybe do you have somebody famous in your family tree? And I, I, I recall for me, I, I, when I realized that, uh, John Augustus Sutter, uh, Captain John Sutter was my great, 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 great uncle. Okay. His, his brother, Jacob Sutter, uh, was my great, 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 great grandfather. And, and so I thought it was pretty important related to Captain John Sutter. And you can imagine I told all my friends and people when he comes up in school, yeah, he was my great, 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 five greats uncle. And, uh, it was, uh, not until I got older that I realized what a scoundrel he was. And, uh, and now it's one of those things where you might want to bury your family tree. Uh, but the idea is is looking at your family tree to see what your heritage is. Uh, in in my family tree, the Hapgood name goes clear back into uh, uh, English history, back into the uh, 700s, as far back as we uh, were able to go. And and so we realize that you know we can people ancestry.com and all these different things today. If people are interested in these things, but for the Hebrew people, it was critical. It wasn't just something to know. It depended on whether they could even identify themselves as Israelites, and especially the tribe of Levi, because you couldn't be in the priesthood unless you could identify yourself through your family tree, through your lineage, that that you were in the tribe of Levi. And so uh, this was extremely important to them. Now, looking at Matthew chapter 1 through 17, look at verse 1 says, the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second and, and just say within that introduction to what David is or uh, Matthew is going to record here for us. He says, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He goes on to verse two. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and uh, Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron. And he just goes on through all of the different aspects of this. And then in verse 15, uh, he records, and 
And Iluid was the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. What we have here is Matthew making a a specific ID of Jesus as the Christ. And this lineage takes him back to Abraham. He is an Israelite. But he also had to be of the tribe of David, out of the the lineage of David, to become the king. And we'll go into more detail on that in just a minute. So this is, in a sense, showing that Jesus had a specific course that had to be followed that would lead to him. God was orchestrating all the way along the line of putting everything together just right so that there would be this what's sometimes called the crimson thread tracing all the way back through the Old Testament so that we could look at and see the, 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 that Jesus was all the way through. And he had to meet certain requirements, if you will, to, to be identified as the Christ. So if he couldn't meet some of these criteria, he couldn't possibly be the Christ. And during the time of Jesus and prior to the time of Jesus, there were many false Christs. Uh, people claiming to be the Christ, the one to lead the nation of Israel. And and so Jesus, the, the, this heritage, this lineage is extremely important. This is also, as you as you recognize this, that it, it, it's it's uh, showing that Jesus fulfills specifically a number of requirements. And I'm not going to get into that this morning as much as to say. There's a a set of books called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. And he gets into some of the uh, statistics of of what it is that would uh, the odds of one person being able to meet around 300 specific prophecies and and, and, uh, out of the Old Testament. It's astronomical. We would we would look at it. Even even getting it down to just eight, where he's born in Bethlehem, and and this type of thing, is is like one to ten to the seventeenth power, just fulfilling eight key prophecies. And so we realize God put it in such a way, and this is what they, uh, Matthew is trying to put forward here through this genealogy, that God has been in control of this picture all the way along the line to bring it about, so that we would know the Christ, the Son of God. In Matthew 1, he mentions the, you know, Jesus. Uh, that was his name. Now, if we were to, to go a little further into Matthew chapter uh, 1, uh, starting with the 18th verse, going through uh, verse 25, we find out that uh, the, the angel speaks to Joseph about taking Mary uh, as his wife. And... Uh, Quoting a verse out of Isaiah chapter 7, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Uh, and so uh, Joseph, uh, he says, uh, is, is told to name him Jesus. And the reason for that name is Jesus, or uh, also uh, can be translated Joshua, uh, means that uh, Yahshua. Jesus or Yahweh saves. Yahshua, Yahweh saves. 
that was Jesus' given name. So right here in verse 1, we get the, the announcement. God is bringing one who saves into the picture. Then he mentions him as Jesus uh, Christ. Now, Christ is a title. It means it's an identity that means that he is the Messiah, the anointed one to come, the one that they are looking to deliver them. And by the time that, that Jesus comes and is born, they're thinking that this Messiah would be coming to deliver them from the, the, the oppression of the Roman Empire and to, to reestablish the kingdom of David literally right then, right there in Jerusalem and, and uh, the nation of Israel. But as I said when we uh, lit the candle, the peace that, that, that Jesus was bringing, the anointed one was bringing, was a peace between man and God before the kingdom of God in a process of establishing the kingdom of God. So we're looking at the Messiah, the anointed one. And this got the definite attention of the of of the Israelite people, the Jewish people, because they were waiting for this Messiah. So when Matthew writes this and they were to read this, they would say, oh, hey, he's claiming that he is uh, uh, Yahweh saves in his name, Jesus. He is claiming him to be the Messiah, the, the anointed one of God. That's a big announcement all by itself. But then he adds to it, the son of David. Jesus was from the royal lineage of David. Another messianic title, the son of David. Jesus had to be in this category, in this lineage. In 2 Samuel, uh, the, uh, it, it's recorded in a prophetic picture. Uh, God's covenant with David, it says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, meaning when it comes time for him to, to pass away, I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come from, uh, <clears throat> who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. When he commits, in, uh, when he uh, commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away for, from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever, in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision. Nathan spoke to David. And that prophecy has a dual picture, some of the descendants after David, but then ultimately Christ, the sinless one, the, the son of God, the, and, and known as the son of David. Isaiah chapter 9 also speaks of this. Uh, in verse uh, 6, Isaiah chapter 9, it says, for, un, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and the name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And when 
Isaiah stamped something with that idea, the zeal of the Lord or the jealousy uh, of for his people. Uh, the Lord of hosts will do this. It was an absolute positive declaration. So he's saying, again, here's this one, this, this child who is born in verse seven, uh, verse 14 of chapter 7. Uh, he says, behold, the virgin shall conceive. And so he, Isaiah ties all of this together in this picture. Well, uh, there will be no end to his kingdom. It will be forever. And so the son of David, Jesus, the Christ, the son of David, will reign forever. And uh, that's, again, an extremely bold claim. And that's all made here really literally in this, this first verse of Matthew. And then he says, not only is he the son of, of David, but he says the son of Abraham. The importance of this is that Abraham is the first of the promised people of the chosen ones of the Hebrew people. And so his Jesus is going to be a son of Abraham. He is going to be a Jewish man. And he's a Jewish man who will come through the, 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 the lineage of Abraham to David and from David to Joseph. And uh, he is, the you know, it's important, again, uh, you know, when, when Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 3, 1 through 3, uh, Abraham is promised that he will be the father of many nations. And he says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. How will they be blessed? By showing Jesus to, to be a descendant of Abraham. He would be able to fulfill this promise. Jesus is going to be the one who does this blessing. And all, and, and notice it says, all the families of the earth. There's a big, it's, it's not stated clearly at this point, but it's implied. Not just the Jewish families, not, but all the families of the earth. Through this first uh, 17 verses of Matthew, Matthew makes it clear that God is sovereign. God is in control. His purposes will be accomplished. And nothing will set that, uh, come in, 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 and stop that in any way. Therefore, there's a, a, an if-then here. If this is true, that God's purposes will be accomplished, that he's in absolute control, then this tells us that we can rest with absolute confidence in the promises of God. This ties to when we get further into the, the gospel messages, and, and then if you get into reading the letters uh, by Paul, and stuff, where it tells us if we confess Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and, and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That is a promise from God, and we can rest with confidence in it. There's also an amazing sense of grace tied to this genealogy. If we read through it, we're going to find that there are five women Mentioned in the genealogy. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, 
And then they don't identify the name. They just say you're the wife of Uriah. And, 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 and that was Bathsheba and Mary. That was not done. The Hebrew people were, were strictly based on the patriarchs, uh, the, of the family. They, they, uh, all the lineages were traced through the men. And yet here in this lineage, Matthew is bold enough to include women. Now I want you to understand something I had forgotten to mention. And that is, is that Matthew was written primarily for the Hebrew people. Matthew is writing to the Hebrew people as his audience. And so when they read this, they're seeing this. Obviously, some of them are going to be scratching their head at least, and some of them are going to be made very angry. And we find that as, as Christ's ministry begins and some of the claims that are made. But and even afterwards, there was great antagonism between the Hebrews and the birthing of the Christian um, church and, and the, the church of, uh, of Jesus Christ. And so um, you can see, again, how this could happen, because what Matthew was doing here was he was literally exploding uh, into this idea that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and he's, he's going to be for all people. And that includes Gentiles. By the way, Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth were all Gentiles. Now, I'm not going to go into the details about their 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 history, um, but I would tell you that if you read it, you will you you will be afraid, uh, afraid uh, uh, amazed, and you will probably at sometimes find yourself a, a little blushed because of some of the stories that go with this. Tamar, you can find her. History in Genesis chat. Well, in Genesis 38, you'll get some of the details. Rahab was known to be a prostitute, uh, in, in Jericho and she was responsible for protecting the two spies that went into to Jericho. And so you'll find her story in Joshua chapter two. Ruth was a Moabite and the Moabites were the, some of the most constant enemies of Israel. And yet, Moabite is included in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, I'm not going to go into details about the story of David and Bathsheba because it's pretty familiar to most people that haven't even ever read the Bible. Uh, and and what we understand is that it was the, the relationship between David and Bathsheba were centered around sin as they come into this picture, and yet here she is in the lineage of Christ. What this tells us is God's tremendous, beyond our understanding, the tremendous grace he's willing to give and forgive sin. This is why I was talking about lighting the candle of peace. This this peace between God and man. God's, it, it's all resting on God and what Christ has done for us. It, it reminds me of, of a scripture that is in uh, Galatians, book of Galatians, chapter 3. And uh, let me share that with you. Galatians chapter 3, it says, 
the, the, uh, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. It's referring to the law of the Old Testament. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This kind of ties it together to me. I'm thinking of the kids' song. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of, uh, and you are one of them, and, and I'm one of them, if we believe in Jesus Christ. As our savior, we are children of Abraham. We are heirs to the promise of Abraham, which comes through Jesus Christ, the peace that will bless the world. When Paul writes in Philippians chapter two, that Jesus humbled himself, we look at the the reality that Jesus came into the world. He became flesh. But even his lineage has a sense of humility to it. It doesn't amount to something that that someone would point at and and look at and 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 say, "Boy, I'm I'm proud of that part of my lineage or that part." Now, part of it, he would, you know, it would it would be something that they just wouldn't talk about, uh, especially dealing with uh, Tamar and and Uriah's wife Bathsheba. So we see this, and again, see God's grace and the intent that we see. That Jesus has come in such a way that he is here to redeem all who will confess him. Doesn't matter what your lineage is, what your heritage is, who your parents are, who your grandparents are. It has nothing to do with any of that. For Israel, that was a hard thing to swallow. Jesus came. According to Philippians chapter 2, he came in the form of a servant. He humbled himself in obedience, becoming a servant even to the point of the cross. And we look at this and we realize that what Jesus through the cross has done and his death, burial and his resurrection, his proof of victory over death, is he started a family tree that is eternal. And if you have confessed with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and you stand with that statement that you are saved, you are a part of the family tree of Jesus Christ. We are children of Abraham. We are part of the, 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 the kingdom that David was established in David's name that will last forever. The kingdom of God. What a powerful thing to think of. This time of the year, with everything so chaotic that is going on, uh, with the, the virus and, and different aspects of things going on in politics, we can turn around and say, but what really counts is I'm in the family tree of Jesus Christ. So uh, let's thank God for that as we close. Lord, thank you so much for your love, your mercy, your grace. We ask, Lord, that you would be with us uh, this time of the season, that we honor your name and 
and special time to recall it. And we ask that you would, uh, as we as, as we go through all of the times that we're going through and, and some of the very difficult times, that we ask, Lord, that you would be with us as only you can. Comfort us as only you can. And, Lord, cause us to rest in the promise that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, our Savior. We thank you. We worship you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.